Unmade is heading to Melbourne. Join us on Tuesday, November the 15th, when I'll be chairing our panel discussion on what's coming up in marketing in 2023 and what the hell happened in 2022. We've got four great speakers. Tickets are just $69 or free to Unmade's paying members. Open any recent post on unmade.media to find out how to get your ticket. The Unmakers. I'm Tim Burrows from Unmade. Welcome to The Unmakers, a series in which I talk to people who are trying to remake the media and marketing world. Each episode, I talk to people who are doing business differently. We're going to meet the startups, the troublemakers and the dreamers who've looked at the communications industry and are trying to find a better way. If you're an unmaker with a story to tell about how you're changing the media and marketing world, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at tim at unmade.media. Before you remake it, you've got to unmake it. In today's episode of The Unmakers, my guest is Nico Chu, CEO and founder of Sonorbis, which is a software platform aimed at helping Western brands enter Asian markets. Nico is an entrepreneur and investor. Earlier in his career, he was managing director of Expedia Group in Europe and here in Asia Pacific. And since 2018, he's also been a professor of practice at UNSW Business School. He began working on Sonorbis in 2016. Now, Nico, let's start with the classic startup question. What problem are you trying to solve? <laughs> thanks. For, first of all, thanks a lot, Tim, for, for having me. Um, I, what am I trying to solve? Th- this all came from my own experience trying to expand into new markets when I was at Expedia and then at Orbitz and especially in Asia. And I noticed how difficult it was for any organizations, Western organizations, to uh, to expand into Asia. Um, it's difficult because there's a strong lack of understanding uh, of those markets. Um, there's also a lack of visibility and control when you expand into Asia in general. And there are actual technology constraints, uh, like in China, the, the great firewall that we might be talking about, um, uh, that really limit what you can do. So I I said to myself, this is crazy that, you know, nowadays you have a software that, that you know, allows you to do whatever you want. You want to create a website, you can do it through a software, you want to... Um, you have a subscription service for any almost anything, but not when you want to expand into Asia. You have to go through the, the regular route of setting up an office and it takes a lot of time, money, resources, and most companies can't do that. So um, I look around if there was a company that was trying to address to close this gap you know, uh, between, between Asia and the rest of the world, and I couldn't find any. So I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> And of course, you know, it's, it's interesting you've talked about all those factors because I suppose I, I went automatically to language barrier, but by the sounds of it, that's the least of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, language is one of them. But, but obviously, if you just translate basically what you have in English uh, uh, for an Australian audience into, for instance, Vietnamese or into uh, simplified Chinese for, for China, that won't be enough because, you know, the, the, the user behavior is different. You know, you need to localize your content and your approach uh, to, uh, to uh, cultural, you know, nuances and, and, and different behaviors. So, so yes, uh, language is, is, is important, but uh, as you said, it's, it's probably not the most important uh, aspects, interestingly enough. 
And then I suppose when we look at somewhere like China, just the consumer behavior is so different. You know, you're, you're not talking to that audience automatically in the places you would in the West, you know, Facebook or whatever. Um, I, I, I presume WeChat is a big part of the conversation. It is. And I think you, you, you spot on. Um, one of the key aspects when you want to expand into your new market is obviously to take into account the, the, the cultural differences, the limitation, the lack of visibility and control, the technology constraints, but also the marketing channels. No, those are not the same as the ones that we are using here in Australia or, or you know, in the US or, or in the UK. Uh, in China, 100 percent if you if you want to engage with your audience you have to be on wechat you know it's 1.1 billion users uh, i think it's all the 30 percent of all the time spent on mobile in china is on wechat so so if you're not on wechat then you're almost you know invisible uh but that would be similar for other places like in vietnam you know it's zalo and it's uh talk kakao in in korea lime in taiwan or, or japan so so you need to you need actually to use the right channels you know when you expand into those markets now, this is obviously a, a problem for all sorts of market sectors, all sorts of types of brand. You've chosen to initially go over, go after higher education as the sort of common thread. Why? Why that sector in particular? Uh, a few reasons. First, it's a, it's one that I know fairly well because, as, as you mentioned, I'm a professor practice at UNSW Business School and I've been and before that uh, I used to be an associate professor back in Europe as well so it's a sector that I know uh, fairly well but it's also uh, I was looking at an, an industry where we could address you know most of the value chain in terms of need and requirements and and um, our platform was perfect for that platform for higher education because we we actually give them the, the tools and the means to to do digital marketing in in china without the need to be in china um, other sectors would be b2b probably you know certain verticals in industrial uh, product manufacturing um inbound as well travel inbound so 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 whomever um was willing to tap into this audience and attract Asian uh, tourists to 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 Australia, for instance, would, would have been one. But obviously, with COVID, all this went down. So education was definitely for us, you know, where we had a very strong product market fit. So we decided to triple down and adapt the platform really to be to be uh, to be go to be um, uh, addressing most of their requirements. To be clear, this is a platform. This isn't really an agency model. This is a it's software as a service. It is, yes. We're, we're what we call a SaaS, a software as a service. We provide subscription to a platform that allows anyone to create, measure, and optimize their digital presence uh, in China without the need to be on the ground. So you can do now in China whatever you can do here in Australia. You know, you can create your websites, you know, taking into account all the technology constraints, the, the, the great firewall that is usually limiting the, the, the access. You can you can you can actually create as if it was on Wix or Squarespace, for instance. Then you can engage with your audience through WeChat. Uh, you don't even need to be on WeChat, actually. You can, you know, you can have one of your followers who can ask a question in in, in simplified Chinese on WeChat. You will actually receive an email in English, and you can, you know, reply in English, and it will send it back to WeChat. So, the, the, you know, the whole concept of this platform is to close the gap between East and West, and and uh, um, you know, without the need to 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 uh, to bother about you know all those technology constraints and language and 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 other aspects. So who would be a typical user, client at the moment? 
marketeers, you know, uh, marketing people. Also, we we have the recruiting international recruiting teams uh, within universities. Uh, but of all, yes, marketing managers, um, whomever is in charge of again expanding their 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 promotional activities or their engagement activities with with this audience. And can you maybe talk about um, a few of the brands that actually do use you? And I know there are there are some you must be able to talk about because they're on your website. Yes, sure. Obviously, in the higher education sector here in Australia, we we have a lot of them. Uh, we have sixty percent of them. So so um, UNSW, University of Wollongong, uh, RMIT, University of Queensland, Western Australia, but also in New Zealand, we have Auckland University. Uh, we have um, quite a few now in North America. We started to expand significantly during during you know the pandemic, where we have University uh, UC Berkeley, uh, UC Riverside, State University of New York, uh, Purdue. In Canada, we have you know uh, Royal Roads, Carlton, Ottawa. Uh, in the UK, we have Lancaster, uh, Augsburg, uh, Barcelona, and Spain. Except you know in in Finland, Aarhus, and Denmark, Tel Aviv in Israel. So we it's it's global in terms of universities. We we you know as you can see, we have a very very strong product market fit. But we do have you know clients in other sectors as well. You know here in Australia, we have Westfield, for instance, or Sydney Airport. And something that struck me just sort of observing what went on over the last couple of years was it it, it felt to me that Australia didn't treat its overseas student population terribly well um is your sense that the higher education sector in Australia is showing signs of bouncing back or 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 is it going to be years to get back to where it was do you think that's a very good question uh uh, the short answer is yes. You can you can already see uh, some some elements and some pretty good signs. Uh, the 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 enrollment to English, you know, courses, for instance, which is usually a good sign um, and and an indicator, a good indicator of you know how many enrollments we'll have at universities is is actually quite good. Um, the the thing is, Australia. I remember five years ago, just before the pandemic, when we started to to go after this uh, sector. I remember that Australia was about to become the second most preferred destination, you know, for Asian students, especially f- for Chinese students ahead of the UK, which is quite, 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 you know, very impressive. We have always been punching above our weight in Australia. Have a very good sector in terms of, uh, obviously, our, our higher education sector is is, is 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 amazing. But we we did an extremely good job in promoting it overseas, and um, and all this went down during during the pandemic and you're right i don't think that we treated very well uh you know international students and and obviously it didn't reflect well on us um so a lot of uh, prospective students you know decided to go to the uk instead or to canada um and so we lost quite a few uh, a few positions you know uh, being from second to third to to Number seven, uh, I believe, um, but still the demand is still very strong. We 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 do you know talk to a lot of people. We have obviously people in China and and, and also we talk to to other prospective students in, around the region. Australia still has a very very good reputation um, now that the borders are you know fully open, that there's no restrictions. Uh, yes, I'm pretty optimistic. With with I think we'll be able to bounce back. Tell me about your team. Yeah, our team is is really international. Um, uh, but what I think is is really interesting is that when you look at the executive team, we we all come from large corporates, uh, and I think it, 
it gives us you know, an approach that is quite different from the regular startup. So we are really in this environment, I believe, where we combine the best of both worlds. You know, we have, we, we know how to manage a PNL. We have a very good understanding of, you know, where we should be going, the strategy to, 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 to apply and, and the means to, to, to get there. But we learn also the hardware, how to hustle, uh, you know, through through the startup environments. And so we are, you know, we have visibility, for instance, on MPNL a long time in advance. We, we're doing what, what we should be doing. We're forecasting on a regular basis. We, we, we keep a very close tab on, on how we're tracking on the finance side. But at the same time, we are very pragmatic in our approach. Uh, not saying that large corporates are not, but sometimes we say, look, you know, it's not perfect, but it's okay. You know, uh, we'll launch it or we'll go after this market or this is not ideal, but we still do it because, you know, that's the way how you build, uh, you build a business. Now, you are, you are a startup, although I think at five or six years old, I suppose, a mature startup. You've been, I think, through three or four fundraising rounds. How is your route to profitability going? Oh, it's an interesting question. Uh, you know, if you <laughs> if you uh, if you look at uh, um, it, depends on the perspective and it, it depends on the objective. I mean, for me, it has always more than profitability. I would say that cash flow is key. Uh, and and right now, we we are lucky enough to have a good model where you know the cash flow is such that we actually don't need to raise money and the run rate is almost unlimited. So, so you know, we are not seeking, you know, profitability immediately because, you know, we are looking to reinvest a big chunk into into our growth and our international expansion. As I mentioned, we, we have now around 40 clients in North America and 40 clients in the UK and slash Europe. Uh, and this is, is growing exponentially. So we are more looking at our growth, but we have never been this startup looking at this, you know, um, huge exponential growth, uh, unicorn targets from day one. Uh, we have been more steady in our growth, uh, but, you know, we have been able to navigate the pandemic extremely well by growing by 134% during this period. Um, so we maintain this level of, we want to maintain this level of growth in order to achieve an, an objective, which is more to reach a, a certain economy of scales and allow us to do, to do more things. So, so we are not taking profitability to answer your question. Uh, we are, as long as our cash flow allows us to grow without, you know, any new inputs uh, or influx of money, we will keep doing that. And um, how many staff do you have here in Australia and globally? We are a little bit, uh, I think we're around 35 people uh, globally. We, we, we should be around 40, but we have quite a few uh, roles open. Uh, in Australia, we are 14, 14 people, and we might be adding a few a few other heads. But we, we are planning actually to open a new office in North America, so we'll have quite a few heads there as well. And some of our employees will go there as well. And your route to growth um, is more, at this stage, your priority is geographic, opening more offices, focusing on higher education, as opposed to getting into other sector verticals. Uh, yes, it is. It is at least for the next couple of years. Uh, we are really higher education focused. As I said, we have clients, uh, the door is open, <laughs> but the, 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 those are more opportunistic. Um, but uh, we, yes, we, we are many higher education. We are not looking to open new offices. Uh, the beauty is that we, we have a model where 
you know, it can be done from from a lot of different places. Uh, the time zone is important, though. I mean, being in Australia, as you know, it's not it's not always the the best location to to go after North America, especially on the East Coast, where it's very difficult uh, in terms of time zone. But uh, um, no, the the plan is really is twofold. Actually, we want to offer more. So, you know, now that we have been able to demonstrate that we could actually offer China, which is by far the largest market, but also the most difficult one to, to, to crack, we are ready now to expand and offer the rest of Asia. So the expansion through growth, I mean, the growth will come actually to opening it to, to the rest of Asia, while at the same time to go after new markets. So we, it's a, it's a two, you know, two directions at the same time. We want to be in new markets and offer more to our existing clients and our new clients. And you must be really uniquely placed to um, have a point of view, not only on the Asian economy, but the Chinese economy in particular. Uh, Obviously, there's plenty of nervousness at the moment. What's your sense on what the wider Asian and the specifically Chinese economy is doing and is going to do? Oh, I wish I had like a crystal ball uh, uh, to, to be able to, to answer properly this question. I, I Obviously, the growth is significantly reducing right now in, in, in China. And, and um, if I compare it to what happened during the GFC, where China was really leading, leading the, the growth, uh, uh, the recovery, at least, uh, especially in this part of the world, I'm not sure that China would be able to do the same thing this time. Um, so we, we can't rely on this market to believe that it will allow us, at least, you know, from an Australian perspective to, to navigate the, 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 the incoming recession. Uh, having said that, uh, the economy in China is really quite solid, despite the fact that there's a lot of things that's happening, the growth is going to be reduced to, you know, couple of percent which means almost nothing um it's a relatively solid that the the, the demand china remains the factory of the world still uh and the demand you know for chinese product will and re- is and will remain still very very strong i mean everything that i have here around me for instance is, is made in china so so for this reason i think you know it will still be okay now the china hasn't succeeded in you know um shifting completely to uh, to uh, uh, its domestic demand so china also heavily rely on the external demand and for this reason i think things will still be okay as long as there are demand from the rest of the world for chinese product and chinese and china still needed to, to to relying on this demand then things should be okay now something you touched on is the fact that you are involved with the um unsw business school um you're a busy guy. What 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 motivates you to do that as well? What do you you know? What what's presumably you get satisfaction out of it? Do you? Oh yes, absolutely. I think I think I'm I'm extremely lucky actually to 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 have this position at UNSW Business School. I used to be uh, an academic part time back in Europe as well, and but this time it's a little bit different. I I accepted this role mainly because first I have. You know a lot of appreciation for 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 UNSW being being uh, you know uh, one of the alumni, uh, but I also what I realized when I shifted from managing you know a multi billion dollar business to zero, <laughs> you know to, to 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 launching a startup, is that you are deep deep in the operational part and and you have to you have to get your hands dirty almost every day, which is which is great. Obviously, you know you. It's something that I really enjoy, but 
I was missing certain aspects a little more um, less less operational, I would say. And 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 the university allows me actually to work on you know strategic projects on research topics as well and and things that i'm missing a little bit from my day-to-day uh, at synovus if it makes sense it does and i've been looking at your linkedin profile you're also a bit of an investor yourself let me ask you about some of the things you're invested in uh, uh and you'll have to excuse me if i get any of the pronunciations wrong um munoa oh yes munoa munoa this is this is a great app. Uh, well, I, I think this is a great app. It's a uh, it's a friend of mine who actually launched uh, this back in Spain, um, uh, which they want to to become the noon for uh, um, sleeping. And and I, I strongly believe that there's a lot of things to do in this space. Uh, we saw during COVID actually a, a surge of interest, you know, for health related topics and apps. Um, and if done well and with the right people, I think they could do really well. So this app is all about giving you insights. It's a program that uh, helps you to actually improve your sleep. Uh, so it's many targeting people who have some issues, insomnia and so forth. And it's a, a non-invasive programs, uh, many working on, um, you know, behavioral uh, uh, approach. Uh, very very similar to noon, but noon is for diet, and they want to do it for for uh, the sleeping uh, uh, space. So this is one, yeah, this is one of the, uh, the investment, and they are they're tracking fairly well so far. And then another one you invest in is um, Pillowroo. Yes, Pillowroo is a uh, is a. Uh, um, completely different. <laughs> uh, it, it can it, it shows you that I don't really have like a clear mandate in terms of where I'm investing my money. But uh, uh, Rue is um, um, a B two B marketplace for hairdressers, and the idea was to actually fulfill certain needs, you know, for a salon in in Australia and beyond uh, to provide access to on-demand resources when it's needed. Um, extremely complicated, and we we had a we have still a whole program where we actually can train people um, to become you know hair salon assistants, and then they can be positioned in certain uh, in in um, salons. Uh, so we were what I really like with this this uh, this um, model was that not only I think it was addressing a, a a need. It's a highly fragmented market, so very difficult to to actually, you know, um, get this need fulfilled. Usually, uh, so this to me was a good sign for a marketplace. And two, there's a social component as well because the whole the whole reconversion and training program is actually tapping into people who who, are, who need who need a job. So I really enjoy. I mean, I really like this this uh, this uh, dual uh, the dual approach. So yes, I I actually. Uh, invested. I was part of the board. I left. I left the board since, but uh, uh, um, and I helped a little bit the founding team to uh, to get the board rolling. And then the third one that you list yourself as an investor in is AltPure. Yeah, so AltPure is a little bit different. It's actually my own investment uh, um, uh, 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 structure. So uh, through this structure, I'm actually investing in a lot of different other uh, other uh, companies, uh, either through syndicates or. or or um, under the name of Alpure, so there are a variety. It could be crowdfunding, it could be any kind of investment. But but you know, I stop all this to be honest, because you know, as you said, <laughs> between Synovus and USW, it was very difficult to to follow all this. Uh, so uh, and and I like to be an active investor, and it's not possible. So I just I put on hold, you know, my my investment uh, activities. Now you did mention your ambition wasn't particularly to be 
a, a unicorn. Um, how big do you think you can get there with Sonorbis? Uh, well, it, it all depends on when we would like to have a liquidity event. <laughs> but uh, uh, I think this this we can we can if we continue like this we can we can grow significantly and and uh, we could be around the the. 250 200 to 250 million business in a few years um the, again when i when i set up the, the this business i look at the addressable market it's b2b what we were addressing um we have never you know targeted the the, the, the unicorn uh h- highly exponential growth you know uh for for five six years with multiple of 100x um nothing against these profiles but I, I i don't think it was our profile and it was not and it's still not um what is interesting is that actually the rest of the world went back more or less to you know our type of profiles in terms of investment when you look at the valuation right now so so for us it hasn't changed because we have never been like you know trading at uh, 100x and we were, have never been targeting you know the unicorn status so so it doesn't change really we we keep do, doing what we're doing um if the liquidity even obviously happens sooner than later then the valuation will be different but right now yes looking at our growth looking at our expansion i think we can we can be around this uh, this range just the modest third of a billion dollars yes <laughs> yes yes i i didn't see it that way but yes you're right <laughs> <laughs> Nico, thank you so much for your time. It was a real pleasure, Tim. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Unmakers from Unmade. If you're an unmaker, I'd love to talk to you. Email me, tim at unmade.media. Today's episode of The Unmakers was edited by Abe's Audio. I'm Tim Burrows. Before you remake it, you've got to unmake it. The Unmakers. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio. Unmade is heading to Melbourne. Join us on Tuesday, November the 15th, when I'll be chairing our panel discussion on what's coming up in marketing in 2023 and what the hell happened in 2022. We've got four great speakers from the world of media agencies. Naomi Johnston, boss of Havas Media in Melbourne. From the consultancies, Nick Garrett, Head of Global Commerce and Marketing Practice Lead at Deloitte. Representing the marketer's point of view, Andrea Dixon, Regional Marketing Boss of DocuSign. And the man with his head in brand strategy is Richard Curtis, owner of Future Brand Australia. It's in a pub. It'll be a great chat. Then we'll have a drink and another chat once the microphones are turned off. Tickets are just $69 or free to Unmade's paying members. Open any recent post on unmade.media to find out how to get your ticket.